I'm been, great. It's been quite a while. We go back a long way. Great to see that smiling face again. It's great to see you too. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, me too, guys. Thank you, G and David. Um, Jake, um, you grew up in Texas. You had told me, are you from a showbiz family? Uh, when did you get started? Uh, can you give me a little bit of what inspired you in theater and uh, talk to that a little bit? I can. My gosh, like how long do we have? I can talk about that for like an hour alone. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I turn into a pumpkin at midnight. So if you get, uh, you know, before that, we're good. Uh, yeah, I am originally from Texas. However, my family moved to Nashville, Tennessee when I was in middle school. So I went to high school wow. in Nashville, uh, but originally from the Dallas area. And um, I started acting when I was eight. Uh, my mom saw that. I was yeah, <laughs> saw that I was sort of a creative kid uh, with ADD and didn't know what to do with me. And so she saw an ad for children's acting classes at the Dallas Theater Center uh, and signed me up. And oh. I was just like fell in love from day one. I knew from that moment what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Wow. Um, I grew up being in shows there. So I did lots of shows as a, as a kid actor at the Dallas Theater Center and the Dallas Children's Theater. They did. Um, I don't know if you if you saw they did this production of Les Mis with like contemporary costumes. They had Javert yeah. in a highway patrol costume <laughs> with yeah. the helmet. That was so cool. It, I, if I recall correctly, though, which was I mean horrible. I mean, just you never know. Like it just it got horrible reviews. Yeah, I didn't see it. It looked interesting. Like I would have it liked looked, to have seen it, it looked but beautiful. it looked it looked cool. I, but I don't know. I, I don't know if they tried to set it in a different time period or if it was just the costuming. I don't know. Because right. I think you can do like, um, I've seen people do really cool things with like um, taking a period piece and keeping it in that time period. Sure. I mean, Shakespeare, that, of... they do that all the time. I mean, I saw this amazing production. Uh, it, it was on the, it was for Na the National Theater Live. It was, um, I think, one of the Richards. Um, they did it with like military mm -hmm. they always do the coolest oh, yeah. things so but you only see that in london right in yeah. that those huge theaters so the fact that this beautiful this like amazing regional theater that is like really well known the dallas theater center to do this um, i i remember being blown away by the production shots wow. i'm sorry that was just something no, no I, I, i've always wanted to talk about awesome. so i grew i grew up yeah. at the dallas theater center i mean that's where i found my love for theater um had amazing mentors and 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 theater educators. Any ed any shows there. we would have heard of, Jake? Any um? You know, primarily like I was in the teens children's theater, so I did like I played Edmund in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There, I did my first professional show ever was uh, as an Oompa Loompa in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Hey, hey um, all right, I've seen yeah. But I did um, Colin and the Secret Garden. Um, okay. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember all kinds of stuff until we moved to Nashville when I was in middle school. But I was that obnoxious nine-year-old that would tell everybody I'm going to be on Broadway when I grow up. And like, listen, it they, just came out of your mouth. 
Exactly. <laughs> Excuse me, Broadway, as we were saying earlier. Exactly. <laughs> and um, but you know, I meant it. I mean, I was I was just solely focused on that's what I was going to do. And for the people that wouldn't take me seriously, even at that young age, I would get very annoyed with them. Um, Can we talk but, about that for a second? <laughs> I've I've been dealing with it for the past two weeks specifically with everything with us as as artists. How did you? overcome it or how did you how did you deal and with did, it did, did, did that stay with you like from from such a young age did that stay with you into it was that something that you had to keep battling yeah i was know. always incredibly driven um you guys know this in order to do this uh, as a career like you have to have the drive and the passion and you have to believe in yourself um mm -hmm. because it's a tough it is a tough thing to do and rejection is just part of the everyday norm of pursuing it, right? I mean, right. Um, I tell like students that want to do this, I'm like, look, you're going you're gonna to not get the job far more than you're going to get the job, you know? Um, you're going to not get a callback far more many times than you're going to get a callback. And um, none of that really has to do with you or your talent. It's just the business. It's just, if, are, are you the right type? Are you the right age? Is this the right thing? Are you do you fit the breakdown that was already in the in the director's mind before you came in the room? Um, so yeah, I mean, we're all insecure, right? I mean, every performer I know is insecure in some way. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, I'd say I always battled, you know, with that. If you feel you could be 100% happy, fulfilled and satisfied doing something else, then go do that because this, this path is hard. But if you were like I was, and you know that if you don't go after this, you're going to spend the rest of your life asking yourself what would have happened had I gone after it. Well, then get your ass to New York and go after it. Like, you thank you. Do wow. Exactly. <laughs> so when you did got you, your ass you to New there? York in 2002. Yeah. How did you get That's there? That's right. Yeah. So um, I went to high school in Nashville, and then I spent a couple of years in Nashville. Um, I guess singing with what could best be described as a country music boy band. Fun. And, oh. <laughs> I um, love it. Nice. Yeah. I mean, so <laughs> random, right? I, I was actually sang the national anthem at my high school's basketball game and was approached by somebody afterwards and ended up singing with this group. And we actually had a record deal. And like so many national wow. stories, it sort of all fell apart. Like it, it, it kind uh -huh. of, it fizzled out like uh, Time Warner and AOL merged and they shut the label down. Oh, wow. Okay. So all I right. was trying to figure out what my next step was going to be. And I always knew I wanted to go to New York anyway. I always felt like I was someone impersonating a country singer. And um, I had a friend that was working the auditions for AMDA, for the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. And I just went because he was working the audition. And so I went and auditioned and they offered me a full tuition scholarship. And so wow. um, I was like, okay, well, this is my free ticket to New York. Um, so Congratulations. That's, that's how I ended up in New York. And I did the, I did the uh, two-year program there at AMDA. Can I ask you a very sensitive question? Absolutely. Oh, I, and I, I, I don't know if this is just the new age of AMDA, but... It's a shame, you know, a lot of people call it scamda. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is something you've heard. So I want to know what your, ex we'd love to know what your experience was like over there. And because I, I've heard, I haven't heard firsthand stories, but I've heard secondhand and thirdhand stories of people basically having all their money wasted over there. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, it, 
like you have to remember I was there 20 years ago, so I don't really right. know what it's like now. Um, I can say, I think it's gotten a lot bigger now and I can see how that might not be the best thing when a program gets too big, it's much harder to really keep tabs on what's being taught, et cetera. I can tell you my experience. Um, I had wonderful teachers at AMBA and mm -hmm. I feel like it's one of those programs, just like any conservatory program, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Um, if I'm speaking very frank, like I think there were students there that, that probably should not have been there that were there because they were paying the tuition and the tuition was going to the school. But some of the most talented people I've ever known in my life, I met at AMBA. Mm -hmm. um, Eric Schneider, who was in Jersey Boys with me. Went to 100%. Uh, and, um, and, and Marissa Rosen, that's how we talked about her whenever yeah. we met. So that's how Marissa and I met. We went to AMBA together and have been like gotcha. best friends ever since. Um, and Marissa's like one of the most insanely talented people I know. Insane, yeah. Um, but I, um, I had fantastic instructors there. Um, I learned a ton from the teachers that I had there. Um, I made great connections in, in graduating from there. I got my first agent through a contact from a teacher that I had at AMDA. I just uh, reconnected recently with my voice teacher from there, Wendy Sharp, who's the head of the uh, vocal program there. And she's just she's phenomenal this wasn't supposed to be like this not this is not a question that's like supposed to knock amda but i this is the first time i've met someone who's actually gone there oh yeah so, no and please i mean we've all heard we've all heard the scamda thing i mean i think oh, that's okay. something that we're all we're all well aware of uh but no i mean my my experience was 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 very positive i actually never heard that before um but with my company we try to recruit a lot of um like people from, from different art schools you get from amda a lot we, we I, I went there a few times to table and, and to wow. get people to like to sign up to join our, our company and like and like, the the team there is it was just so nice and so welcoming so i'm surprised to hear that it's not a good experience for people now who, who knows it could be a, a few bad eggs for spreading lies and rumors but you never know but i'm glad i'm glad to hear good words about so, it so so you started in some local and off-broadway um plays after that uh, yeah so a little bit my first professional job um and again this was a contact through and uh it was through the um the accompanist in my musical theater class uh Amazing. my final semester was music directing um a show called dragons which was sort of this forgotten sheldon harnett musical um and i was i mean i was like a kid who was just getting out of school i was like are, are you kidding me of course i'll come in and audition for it and um so I booked it. And so that's how I got my equity card. You were there in Montclair, New Jersey, right near yeah. where I grew up in Clifton. Yeah. So that was at Luna stage in New Jersey. And um, I mean, wow. I was a kid in a candy store. Like I was, I was in rehearsal with Sheldon Harnick every day and I <laughs> wow. uh, had just gotten out of school. And what was crazy is I felt like some of the other younger cast members weren't really taking, I don't know if they were intimidated or not taking advantage of that, but I would see Sheldon sitting all by himself on a break like doing nothing. And I would just go sit and talk to him and say, you know, Hey, so when you wrote, she loves me, what was that like? You would just, shit. you know, just tell me stories. And it was just, it was amazing. It was, it was an amazing first professional job. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just bummed around different regional theaters uh, in and around New York and outside of New York. I mean, I went up to the Agunquit House, Agunquit Playhouse oh, in yeah. Maine. Wow, um, wow, wow. I yeah. worked at the Flat Rock Playhouse in North Carolina several times. Um, it's basically the unofficial home to all Jersey Boys people. It is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the yeah so I did, um, I did Forever Plaid there. 
Oh, um, oh my God. I wow. Forever Platt a couple of times. Whenever I had to swing Jersey Boys and had to learn all four harmony parts on every song and the whole score, mm-hmm. like I credit Plaid with training my ear to be able to do that, wow. even though I only played one role in Plaid. Um, Those harmonies that, are tight, huh? They are tight and they are hard. Um, and so that, that experience get, became quite useful uh, once, once I got to Jersey Boys. So how did you, um, how did you finally get into um, to Jersey Boys from, um, you know, from your theater Oh, wait, experience? Jake, were you in Jersey Boys? Oh, my God. oh yeah, here we go. That's, the, that's my, <laughs> my wife's were favorite joke. Were you in the joke. producer's film before Jersey Boys? Or um, were you in the so, producer's film before Jersey Boys? Or I was. Um, and I'm so glad to finally be talking about Jersey Boys to people who want to hear my stories who haven't heard. Oh them. my yes. God! Please, this is all. This is what we're here. We, we, we are here to let you have a platform, a box. So, and people are listening. It's true. People well, I'll know. tell you. Like it became a joke. It's a joke with my wife too because um, when we started, we'll get to this later. But when we started our theater in Nashville, and I've told I've told Rick Ellis this. I was like, Rick, like, hey. I got to tell you, like. This is not, I'm not overstating this. Like when I would sit down and meet with people who be like, who are you? Why should I give you any money to help you start a theater? Like I didn't have some sort of a name. I didn't have whatever. But the one thing I could say is I was in Jersey Boys on Broadway and I, and I had them like, mm-hmm. because yep. they, they, everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. And they're like, wait a minute. Oh, I saw that show. Uh, I love that show. And like, <laughs> it was like, I was like, dude, it was the icebreaker. It was the door opener every single time. It Just was amazing. the big, it was the big three of your life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yes. Yeah, so Howard, yeah, I, um, I did the producers movie before Jersey Boys. Um, and I was just in one number. I was in the springtime for Hitler number. They did an open call. And they were looking for guys who were exactly six feet tall. Um, and I'm six one. Uh, but I went oh, anyway because I, I looked even more Aryan back then. I went and um, I forget. I don't know if we sang first or danced first or whatever. But like it was going well. And then at the end of it, they had us um, line up against a piece of tape on the wall. Right. Uh-huh. And I noticed <laughs> that Christina, Christina, ah, I can't remember her last name. She was one of Susan Stroman's associates. And I noticed that she was not looking at anybody's feet. She was just, it, they were trying to get through it quickly. So they were just looking at Yo. the table the wall. Uh-huh. So I full on spread my legs apart like, <laughs> when I stood up against the wall and like totally oh. got the check mark. And um, Yo. so then when it came time for the callback, <laughs> Um, they weren't really measuring people and I wasn't so substantially taller that they could really necessarily tell because we were going no reason to remeasure you no so they didn't remeasure anybody um so in the callback you know that we you know they like do how to do with the dance callback they they broke us into like groups of four and five and like we did it all and remember we had to like step forward and like say our name with a German accent and um and and Susan Stroman was there and so I did the, the callback and then I got it. And um, our, uh, we go to rehearsal. We, we rehearsed at the new 42nd Street Studios, which is also where we rehearsed Jersey Boys. We learned the whole number, we're rehearsing it. And then Susan Stroman comes in to see it and clean it up and whatever. The Susan Stroman. Yes, yeah. the director, for those who don't know. Yes, of the producer's movie. So, <laughs> I'm in the second row of like the Nazi kick line, right? So yeah. we're, we're doing it and she sees it all and she's like, hmm. She's like, okay, hold on. I want to change up uh, the order here. She pointed at me and she's like, 
she was like, Jake, right? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay, I want you to come up here. I want you, she put me in the very front and the very center. Ah, you the, noticed the that I was a little bit taller. Taller, and she loved so it. Uh huh. That's what you do. You have to, you have to guide right. off of the tallest mm-hmm. person. So not only did I beat the system and get in the movie, but I got, I got position. <laughs> It's free time for Hitler with Will Ferrell. This leads me leads me to ask a question though. Was she on board with this casting notice of being exactly six feet? Well, they wanted them all they wanted it to be like the Rockettes, right? They wanted all of these like all of these kick line Nazis to be the exact same height. And so it was so much fun. I mean, uh, Mel Brooks was on the set with us, and I was only I mean, it was only four days. Like it was two days of rehearsal, two days of shooting. But um, Wunderbar. I'll never forget. This was they shot this on actual film. It wasn't on digital. Mm. So oh, shit. actual film is so expensive. And mm-hmm. um, basically, they told us like every take we do costs I don't remember some stupid amounts of thousands of dollars. <laughs> and right before we were doing that, we did several rehearsals, and we were about to do the first actual take of Springtime for Hitler. And Susan Stroman gets on her bullhorn and says, Jake, meet me at the front of the stage. <gasps> I was like, okay. So I go down and she was like, everything's great. But listen, you're in the very front and the very center. Everyone is guiding off of you. So I need your arm here and I need the angle perfect. And I was like, she was like, I need you to be perfect. And I was like, wow. Susan okay. Stroman. The, oh my God, Jake. I was amazing. freaking terrified. Um, oh, no. But it went, it went well. I think I was I was at least as close to perfect as she needed me to be. Um, but it was it was super fun. That's like Danny Austin oh, telling God. you, "You're front and center. Everyone's gonna be guide. You're gonna be guiding people's heel twists. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, get them right." <laughs> wow. I love Danny Austin. Wow, oh, beautiful. So um, so now we get to Jersey Boys. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in 2004. I saw a casting notice in Backstage magazine. This is for, for you young kids. This is when you had to go to like the actual newsstand and buy a copy of Backstage magazine. And um, it was for Untitled Four Seasons Musical. Mm, wow, and okay. they were doing a true open call. It was equity and non-equity, which at least back in my day, that was really rare. Uh, mm-hmm. for a, a, a project of this size to do a true open call with union and non-union like that. And um, so I saw it. The Four Seasons are my mom's favorite band of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about that before. I grew up yeah. listening to them with her. Uh, she always says that they were my Beatles. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, Mom, it's okay. They're big enough in their own right. You don't have to say they were your Beatles. They were, they were the Four Seasons. They were just as exactly. big a deal. Yeah. Uh, and so... Um, and my mom was also the president of the Monkees fan club in high school. I don't know why. Wow. Hey. Oh, well, okay. But yeah. You they're the real ones. Good That's people. awesome. Immediately, <laughs> I was like, well, they're doing a musical about the Four Seasons. Of, of course, I have to show up at this audition. So at the time, so I'm a baritone. I'm a baritone who spent his entire life learning how to sing higher. And um, especially back then, my voice was lower. Like, honestly, my voice has gotten higher after, uh, throughout the years. I think mainly because of always having to sing higher. So and now you can I'm play the, Frankie. I'm, uh, <laughs> although I don't know, I, I doubled all of Frankie's vocals when I did when I would do the Joey track. But that's the high falsetto stuff is not the hard stuff. It's the it's the higher. It's the chest, stuff. yeah. Uh, at least for me. Um, but um, especially back then, I could I could sing like legit bass notes. 
And so I knew that they needed a Nick, right? So um, I was like, I bet there aren't a whole lot of guys who can really hit like those legit bass notes. So that's what I'm going to go in for. So I went to the true open call, waited in line forever, and I auditioned for uh, Eric, who is one of uh, Tara Rubin's associates. Eric Woodall, right? Eric Woodall. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, hey, I know it says like, you know, 50s, 60s, but like, do you want to hear like some legit bass notes or do you want me to sing something more like golden, golden oldies? And he was like, what do you got? that can show bass. So I sang 16 tons, which I had done in Forever Plaid, right? Oh, wow, wow, okay. wow. I said, this isn't really 50s and 60s, but like there isn't a whole lot out there. And yes, this was before, you could just go on music notes and print out whatever song you wanted and whatever key you wanted. So <laughs> I was like, there, there isn't a whole lot out there that's real bassy. So I sang that and he was like, wow. He's like, okay, that was great. He's like, okay, now can you sing something more sort of golden oldies for me? And first of all, this was like a 16 bar or whatever. And like he kept oh, me in oh, there. God. And had me sing yeah. two whole songs. And so I sang um, Dream Lover by Bobby Darren. Oh, wow, nice. Wow. Bobby Darren, nice. Um, and he was like, okay, so if this goes further for you, um, find something more golden oldies. Don't be so funny with it. Because I think I was being kind of funny with um, 16 Tons. He was like, just play it more straight or whatever. And at that point, I was like, okay, so I'm getting a callback if he's, if he's telling me that. Hey. You know? So be yeah. more Nick and less Hank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so, I, um, so I get called back and I go in and I think it's the majority of the creative team at this point. Um, and they haven't even written the script. So I remember, again, back in the day, children, when we had to go to the casting <laughs> office to pick up the Xerox sides. Um, and there were, mo I saw, oh <laughs> I looked for them briefly tonight because I thought it'd be fun to find them, but I could, I, I know I have them somewhere, but I couldn't find them. Your original uh, sides? Yeah. And oh, nice. most of them never didn't make the show. Like these were monologues mm -hmm. that Rick and yeah. Marshall wrote just for the auditions. So there's a whole monologue that Gaudio has about Sinatra and the story about Ooh. his pool. Um, his pool? Yeah, there's this, ah, oh, man, I can't remember it now, but there's a great story about Gaudio and Sinatra oh. in a pool. Um, but I am. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I went and I did the next audition. No, I can't but remember if Des was there for that one. It might have been the next one. But I, I got down to the final callback for La Jolla. Yeah. Uh, and Ooh, always wow. Nick, they were reading me for Nick. When I got to the final callback for La Jolla, and they sent us songs from the show, right? And they wanted, I think we had to do big, yeah, big girls. But just to sing, but I was singing the melody, but it was for Nick. Um, and so I was like, maybe I'll sing the big girls don't cry. Maybe I'll like take that down an octave, like just to like see, like, I don't know, like just to be silly or whatever, um, which, which I did. I sang, I sang the verses normally and then I took it down an octave and, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where I'm always a big fan of taking smart risks in an audition. And that was one example of one that just did not land at all. Oh, no. <laughs> but I did, I could say, I was like, yeah, this isn't working. This, this is not working. This is not working at all. Um, but it was okay. Cause they had seen me before. I think they still, they still like, you know, enjoy, enjoyed it. Des uh, wanted me to do Nick's monologue, which a version of it is in the show. It's when he talks about uh, uh, making his kids think he was their uncle. Uncle Nicky. Uh -huh. um, but it was oh. much, it was much longer. Uh, than what it ended oh. up being in the show and um i did it and i felt i felt pretty good about it um and des was like great um i'm gonna have you do that again 
And this is when you start getting nervous, right? Because you're like, oh my gosh, like the two-time Tony Award-winning director is now working with me. The Des Machina. Which, which means like they're actually interested. And I was, I was pretty young and green at this point. I mean, I had done stuff regionally, but um, he's like, I want you to do this again. And you, he's like, I'm assuming you don't have kids. And I was like, no. He said, this is the first time you have said this to anyone ever. This is the first time you have ever confessed this or said this out loud. And there's a lot of uh, shame in that, but there's also a lot of freedom in that. And this is something that you are not proud of and you've never told anyone. I did the monologue again. And, um, you know, I mean, you guys are actors, so you know when you just feel so connected to something. Yeah. Yes. In a moment. And um, I will never forget. An out-of-body experience. Yes. And uh, something took over. And um, I will never forget. Des looked at me and he said, Yeah. That was it. That was perfect. So the show went to La Jolla and when they were coming to New York, they were going to cast another swing. So they uh, called me in for that and had me read several other things. And I think I sent, they, they sent me earth angel and a bunch of other stuff. And so I went in for that. Um, and it was another one of Tara's associates. It wasn't even the creative team. And they called my agent and said, Hey, we love him. We just don't really think he's right for a swing, which is hilarious and ironic because of what eventually happened. Oh my God. <laughs> then the first national tour rolled around and uh, I was in North Carolina doing um, Thoroughly Modern Millie. My agent called and said, they're casting the first national tour. Uh, can you get to New York next week? Uh, and I was like, is this a pre-screen or are we talking like creative team? Is it, basically, is Dez going to be in the room? He was like, nope, they've assured me Des is going to be on the room. I told them that you're out of town, that you'd be flying in for it. Um, and so the girl playing Millie, Allison Spratt, um, she was also being called in for Jersey Boys and had been in for yeah. it several times. Oh. So oh, the wow. two of us and her now husband, uh, Michael Pierce, uh, had subbed playing bass on the show several times. What? And so Shit. she Holy and I <laughs> The, the people at the Flat Rock Playhouse, shout out Flat Rock Playhouse, they were amazing to let us do this. Mm -hmm. Like we had to fly in the night before and then our final, it was either our final dress or our first preview was the next night. So we were gonna, oh, we were getting goodness. back on a plane right after our morning appointments to try to make it back to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, so we flew in, like got in late uh, the night before, I got like zero sleep. Um, went to the audition the next morning and they were kind enough to give me one of the very first slots because they knew I had to get back to North Carolina. And uh, I decided I was going to sing something different that time. And so I, um, I chose uh, Silence is Golden. So, but when I got in there, Des was running late. So Des was not uh -huh. in the room. I paid $800 for that plane ticket because it was last minute. Uh -huh. And I was like, are you kidding me? Des isn't even in the room. And, uh, but Ron Melrose was in the room and so was Richard oh. Hester. And <laughs> so I sang Silence is Golden and Ron, nice. again, one of those moments I'll never forget. He said, that's maybe the smartest audition choice for this show I've ever seen. And surprising. Um, wow. And oh, what, what, I, what I didn't realize is Ron loves that song. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, uh, so I did that. And then I read um, several of Nick's scenes. Uh, with Richard and got some got some great direction from Richard. Tara Rubin was in the room. I, I was I was 
upset that Des wasn't in the room, but I felt really good about everything I was doing. And then Tara asked me if I would just step outside and wait for a bit because they knew that I had to like fly out. Mm-hmm. So I step outside and I see Des coming in. And um, so Tara comes out and then she asked Des to come in the room with her. They're in there for a couple of minutes and she comes out and I'm like, come on, okay, great. They're gonna ask me to come back in and do this for Des. And she was like, mm-hmm. Jake, we're good. Thank you so much. And I was like, oh. <sighs> <sighs> So uh, it is tossing and turning. Yeah. Um, so I did not get the first national tour. My agent calls one day and he says, all right, they're doing a second national tour of Jersey boys and they want to see you again. But here's the thing, like they're, 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 there's a new casting associate on it. So they want to pre-screen everybody. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, <laughs> I was like, I've been in front of the entire creative team. Like how many times like a, a pre-screen. And so uh, Mary Sugarman was the new uh, casting mm-hmm. associate that they had put on the project, who is the best person on the face of the planet. So Mary, She's if you're so here, this, um, She's I love so you. Sweet. Uh, so she, um, so I go in and it's just Mary. And I think it was Ron's assistant. Um, it was okay. there from like the music department. So I sang and then I read um, and I remember Mary um, going, wow, that was a really great read. You need to hold, you need to hold on to those sides. And I was like, okay. Cool. So at least I passed the test of the new casting associate. Not the guts. I passed the test. Yeah. 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 Um, You're killing it tonight. (laughs) And then guys, it was just a series of call. I mean, I think then there was a callback that uh, I think Richard was there and uh, Kelly Devine maybe was there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was another callback that was with Des and more of the creative team. Um, And Nick, always for Nick this whole time. Mm -hmm. And um, at that second callback, when the creative team was in the room, um, Mary came out and she said, okay, here's the deal. And this is what I loved about Mary. She would always just shoot really straight with you. Mm-hmm. She was like Steve Gouveia, who uh, is Hank on Broadway, mm-hmm. right, um, right, right. is probably going to be Nick. Like Des loves him. Um, and so, but they love you. And so I'm going to send, I'm going to just, I'm going to have you read a bunch of other stuff. And I was like, okay, you know, that. Um, and so I started reading other things and then there was the final callback and the final callback. I mean, they sent me like every side for every character in the show. (laughs) And I, um, I got horribly sick, um, a couple of days before. And so they wanted me to play guitar. Um, and I hadn't done that for them yet. Uh, so, and I do play guitar and I would not really consider myself a guitar player, but I play, I do play a bit. Uh, Ron called me over to the table and he said, because Gaudio was there. This is the first time I auditioned for Gaudio. Oh, and, oh shit. Uh-huh. And he was like, hey, 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 can you sing Silence is Golden? And I was like, sure. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, <laughs> it, was in a key, <laughs> it was in a key that was pretty comfortable. I, I was worried that they were, they were going to want me to do Cry For Me and Oh, What a Night. And, mm-hmm. um, and I just knew that in the shape I was in, like G's and A flats were not going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And but Silence is Golden was cool. And so I got through that. And Ron, he was so funny. He was like a kid. He, he was like, he was like Jake, uh, um, um, who wrote that song? And I was like, <laughs> like well, he's, he's, uh, he's sitting right there. Um, <laughs> Bob Gaudio and Bob, Bob Crew. And I hadn't even I hadn't met Gaudio. Like, I, was, I just oh, sang shit. a song for him. Was, was Crew there also or no? Bob Crew was not there. I did, meet, I did meet Bob Crew later on. But he was not in the audition. Um, but... Um, yeah, that's how I met Bob was singing his song for him. And, um, and so Ron loved that. And then I just read a bunch of different parts. And um, 
my agent called uh, a couple days later and said, they're going to offer you uh, an offstage swing, uh, but you are going to cover, um, I guess on the road, I covered seven tracks. Um, wow. God bless. Yeah. And um, so that was going to be the seven second auditions match. for seven tracks. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> So it you was get seven many, auditions, you get seven different tracks. And this is where all them start. <laughs> yeah, it was it was three years, three years after my first audition that I actually passed. Wow. Um, but um yeah, I covered um I think I was the first person to ever cover Tommy, Nick, and Bob. We 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 didn't really end up being the second national tour. We ended up being the original Chicago company. So mm-hmm. we uh, we did play San Francisco for five months at the current, mm-hmm. and then we opened in Chicago after that. Right. Um, but yeah, I covered Tommy, Nick, Bob, uh, Barry, the Barry Belson track, uh, the Knuckles track, which only exists on the road, does not exist on Broadway. Uh huh. Right. I covered Norm, and I covered Joe Pesci. Uh, <laughs> the tallest Joe Pesci. Yeah, yeah really. I think I think I do hold that title. I think I'm the tallest person to ever go on as Joe Pesci on Broadway. Uh-huh. There you I have it. Six foot one. Um, <laughs> so how, how did that happen? Like, how, how was okay. it playing Joe Pesci? Yeah. So I mean, it was basically like emergency only. Will the six foot one guy go on as Joe Pesci? Right. <laughs> um, and it happened twice in Chicago and twice on Broadway. And then it happened two more times in Chicago. I think I was also the first person to ever do a split track in Jersey Boys. Right, so, uh-huh. you you did Joey and Barry Belson in the yeah. same show, right? Yeah. And we'll we'll get to that. Uh, but <laughs> but oh, it was so it was ridiculous because um, so Dom Nolfi, who was playing Tommy on Broadway, is I'm three inches taller than him, so Dom mm-hmm. is five is five ten. I'm six foot one, so I would just have to like squat down and like <gasps> yeah. just be like really? as as I could be. <laughs> You know, going like, Tommy, I got your fourth guy. Yes. I wanted them to like let me keep my Joey jacket when I left because I was like, who else Aww. are you going to put this on? Like, no one, no right. one with my wingspan will ever play this role again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was you know, it's this crazy thing about swinging, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you get thrown in, you get thrown, thrown on in roles that you would never even get an audition for, like much mm-hmm. less be casting. You know, right. Um, no, that's you're right. That's a very interesting phenomenon. That that's happens. kind of been the th- not the theme, but the amazing thing about this podcast. We've been, we've been, <clears throat> we've been getting something like six hours with these people that you wouldn't even get five minutes. minutes. Let me tell you this. So I listened the two episodes of yours I've listened to were part two with Ron Melrose, okay, uh, and I listened to the Chris Jones one because that's the most recent one you did. Yeah. Um, and when I listened to part two of Ron Melrose, I was like, oh, these guys aren't playing around. Like these guys, <laughs> these guys know more about the show yes. than I do. <laughs> you guys hit this at a good time, you know, because I think at least a lot of us who did the show a long time ago, um, it, we're, so, we're so removed from it now in terms of numbers of years that is so much fun to revisit that yeah, time yeah. and to talk about yeah. it. It really is. You know, we it were, is we, too, Jake. I'll tell you, you know, I was writing for the blog for so many years until really 2015. And mm-hmm. I spoke to an awful lot of people, not getting into the specifics of what you're getting into right now, but it's really helped me reconnect and, you know, revisit a really great time in my life. And mm-hmm. that includes you, because it, it, it's been years since we were in contact, really. Absolutely. I think I, the last time I saw you was, uh, was it the closing night? 
party yes, probably. It was. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah. Now, did you have put-ins for all of your tracks? Yeah. No. So I only ever, I never had a put-in on Broadway. Uh, what I, is a put-in? Can you tell oh, me? Oh, sorry. For all, of our, for all of our listeners, a put-in is when you're a swing or when you're an understudy. Um, and when you're lucky, you get to the people. No, when you're, when you're lucky, when you're lucky, you get a rehearsal on stage, teched with some costumes. You got a rehearsal. Yeah, you yeah. got you got a rehearsal. I figure you kind of be 150, maybe two. So, and so that that's what a put in is. Basically, an on stage teched rehearsal where you run through all the big changes, basically through the whole show. And was am I correct? Yeah, so you do, yeah, you get to do the whole show with the costume changes, with the dressers, with all the automation, you know, with like the, uh, the drum kits moving around, the, the set pieces flying in and out. Um, and you get to do it with the full cast. Uh, mo- you're usually, the, the, they're not required to be in costume. Uh, but you get right, to so do they, the, but, right. The, the I think I, we've heard, we've heard stories cast. where the, the principals will wear like a blazer just so that they can keep that feel because i know especially with jersey boys even in rehearsal they always wanted the guys in blazers and oh you guys in pants richard hester ripped me a new one, one in chicago we, we we have been doing the show for a while so we've gotten pretty comfortable with understudy mm-hmm. rehearsal you know we're like come on we've been in the, we've been on in these roles a billion times like we've got it and um he he got mad at us for uh for being at understudy rehearsal in shorts. Who wears shorts? So yeah, we got we got a strict talking to about not oh, showing man. up at understudy rehearsal in shorts. Okay, well hey, he was, I right. Feel like it's he was right. right. He was right. We shouldn't have been doing it in shorts. We're not ever going to do the mm-hmm. show in shorts. Uh, but next time you're going to get an equity fine, that. okay, Jake? No, yeah, exactly. no, God forbid. <laughs> So how, how many yeah. companies were you a part of, Jake? Two? Just two. So uh, the original Chicago company and the Broadway company. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Though I and did the show played, in three cities. because And, Chicago and you company played Bob G on Broadway. Did you, did you marry Emily during the time you were in Jersey Boys? I did. So Emily and I got married in between the time that I moved from the Chicago company to the Broadway company. We got married. We honeymooned in Italy. We had already booked the whole thing. It was all paid for. And they wanted me in rehearsal a week before we were supposed to get back. And so I called Richard Hester and just like pleaded with him. And he's like, wait, we're just talking about a week. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. I can um, just imagine you sitting on a gondola with your script. <laughs> I know. I tried not to. I tried not to think about it while we were on our honeymoon, and then no, of once, course. Once we got on the flight back home, oh man, I was just running through all the tracks in my head. And, oh, that—that's yeah. our song. Oh, what a night! Yeah. Eventually, so uh, I didn't mention this. Like throughout all of my time in San Francisco and Chicago, I was flown back to New York multiple times to. Uh, audition to be a season in another company. Mm-hmm. So like they, they, they brought me in to read Nick for the, the regional Las Vegas cast. Excuse me. They brought me in to read Bob. Um, that one went really well. Uh, our final preview in Chicago, Drew Galing called out and the whole creative team was there and they all requested that I go on as Bob. Yo. Um, and Talk about pulling through for Jake Speck, yo. <laughs> and that was, there you go. I, I remember not feeling the best about that performance, but like good enough, you know? 
I think I put so much pressure on myself because I knew they were all there. Yeah. And I was like, this is it. This is it. So I even remember bringing Richard his Starbucks and him making a joke of me. He's like, I guess what this means, I'll just have to make you a season in one of these companies someday. But there was always sort of this insinuation that that was going to happen for me. Uh-huh. And, um, and I had come, I had been in New York really recently. They had brought me in to read and sing for Bob. I don't know if that was for Vegas or I can't remember which company. It's been too long, but it went really well. I felt great about it. Like I sang the songs great. I read great. Um, and then after that, uh, um, Daniel Reichard was leaving. And so they flew me in to audition for Bob to replace Daniel Reichard. And guys, it was like, I, I honestly, I still get upset when I think about it. Like oh. I... Um, I was not feeling well. It was another like, it was like, it, it was like a deja vu of the other audition that this time I was in the room for Bob. And I, I warmed up at the hotel. I knew, I mean, I knew I was at like 80% locally. And, but I, I, ha, I, the notes were coming out. Like I was hitting them. Um, but I got in the room and I was just shot. And I, uh, I remember like, I just didn't have it. And like Ron was like, come on, no, no, no. I'm going to, let me vocalize you. I'm going to play the piano. You're part of the family. Like, and I, I remember saying the words. I was like, I'm so embarrassed. Like, I feel like you guys are sitting here going, how many times has this guy been on in this role? <laughs> um, and it was like one of the worst auditions, I've, or at least in my mind, it was one of the worst auditions I've ever given. Um, I, I got through the songs, but like, the, it, they weren't good. Like, I was screaming to get those G's to come out. Like, I just, oh, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. it was awful. And so I thought, well, I guess that's that. Like, I, I'm not going to be a season. Um, and that was before they moved me to Broadway. So yeah. then they, they moved me to the Broadway company and, uh, it was, uh, so, so Sebastian Arcellus, uh, took right, over right. for, uh, um, Daniel record. And so I went on several times in the role, you know, on Broadway. And then, um, Sebastian took a leave of absence, sort of an unexpected leave of absence from the show. And so I went on, um, we weren't sure how long it was going to be. So I went on for like a couple of weeks just as the understudy, mm-hmm. which is awesome, by the way, because when you understudy on Broadway, you get double your pay when you're on for a principal role. Right. Yes. Um, uh-huh. Wow. And uh, I, but there's also like a, a rule that like you can't go on as an understudy for a certain amount of consecutive weeks until they have to put you on a principal contract. And okay. so they weren't sure how long Sebastian was going to be out. And it was like the end, like getting towards the end of the second week. And I still were unclear on communication about how long is this going to be. And I came into the stage manager's office for the matinee just to say, like, just say, hey, what's up? I'm here. Um, and I walked in and Ron Melrose was there. And um, uh, two, of the, two of our lead producers were there. Michael David was there. Oh, shit. Uh, Richard Dodgers Hester, theatrical. Richard Hester was there. Uh, and I was like, hey, guys, how's it going? And I could tell, like, the room was just kind of like, it wasn't standoffish, but it was just sort of, you know, there was an air in the room that was yeah. just kind of like whatever. And I was like, I was like, okay, it's great to see all you guys. And, you know, I'm going to go get ready. And, like, I'm walking up the stairs, and I was like, this is my audition. Like, mm-hmm. this right. is my audition. There's no other um, explanation for why all of them are here today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I somewhat wish I didn't know that they were there but i did yeah sure i felt really good about the show okay and it was 
literally the next morning, my agent called and said, so they're going to give you the principal contract for the duration of, um, however, of long. however long this ends up being. Uh, so I was, so I was nice. right. Like that, that was my audition. Oh, that's good. That's and so though it never, though it didn't really <clears throat> look the way I ever thought it would. Yeah. And it, it was for a specified period of time. Uh, there was something about that that felt really good to be like, you know what? I did get to play Bob Gaudio like on Broadway for real mm-hmm. in the role with the principal contract in the playbill. Um, and something so, good about having change in your pocket that doesn't jingle. There yes, you go. Exactly. <laughs> I think this is a perfect time to play a game and just kind of like put all the pieces together. Sure. So we have two games. We have finished that monologue. And we have guests that season. I mean, so we'll oh give gosh. you a random, very niche line from the script. I think it was how it was supposed to be in a spring, summer, fall. You but guys, before, it's, but, it's okay. been over a decade. I'm going to fail miserably. <laughs> <laughs> we before try. we do that, let's just take a short little break. Sure. We'll be right back. And we're back. We're back. We're back. <laughs> Hi, with guys. Jake, we're back with Jake Speck. Jake Speck. With, and Howard yes, the Tucker. Best, uh, the coolest sounding name is Jake Speck, Jake Speck I think. The spectacular. Yes. Oh, see, that's kind of you to say that. I, I have a friend who's a writer who she, she's actually written several novels. And she said, she always thought my name sounds like a PI, like a private investigator. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So she was Jake like, Speck. if I ever write. Well, obviously, we have the two Jakes. You remember that? With yeah. Jack Nicholson? Yeah. So she said if she ever writes a novel that has a P.I. in it, she's going to name him Jake Speck P.I. You saw Mike McGlone's um, comment and Mike McGlone li- liking our prior um, our prior podcast. Mike's uh, movie, The Bone Collector, through the uh-huh. whole okay. movie, the chief suspect was named Howard. And, <laughs> and hey! you know, I blame Mike for not correcting the uh, director. Of course, it was somebody else who actually, uh, you know, committed the murders. But uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's very funny. When we, the original Chicago company, were in San Francisco, we were the cast that flew to LA and performed the tribute to the Sopranos on the Emmy Awards. On the Emmy yes. Awards. Uh-huh. Hey, so you did that performance. really awesome i i was i was pan, i was like fake playing the trombone that's what i was doing okay they were fake playing the the uh, instruments during the uh, can't take my eyes off you correct not all the, of them not all of them some of those were actual band members but oh, really those of us that were cast members were up there were, were not actually playing the instruments and um, at the beginning like um and i believe you know um were they actually playing the guitars because i believe christian hoff told me he was at one point yes and so, even even nick dramard when he was on tour he was still playing guitar yeah yeah but jake so, please explain yeah probably it, okay it likely could have changed now in other companies but the entire time i was in the show both in chicago in san francisco chicago and new york uh, Tommy was plugged in and actually played, um, and Norm uh, had to actually play, and Hank. All all three of those cast members all actually played the instrument. Okay. Uh, when we were on the road, the Knuckles track also played drums, mm-hmm. but on on Broadway, the Norm track played drums too. The Norm track played drums and guitar. Drums and bass, right? Or drums and guitar? Drums and guitar. Okay. Uh, for for Norm and then uh, the Hank track. They play bass too. Uh, I'm confusing companies now. But Hank had to play the the mandolin too in the uh, the Frankie the pizza scene. 
in the pizza mm. scene. But okay. whenever I was swinging, we wouldn't actually be plugged in. We would just have to look like we were playing. Oh. Unfortunately, I do play guitar enough so I could make it look you real. Could, yeah. But I do, here's a funny story. I don't play bass, okay? The, the first time I was on as Norm, it was in San Francisco, and it was with Steve Gavea was playing uh, Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's in the, it's the variety trio when they were doing um, Apple of My Eye. Yeah. And it introduced the band. And um, I like, I don't, I haven't had much experience playing electric guitar. I play like acoustic guitar. And so when he, he introduces uh, the other Nick, like he, he, he has that little slide on the guitar he does. Do you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So, so that has to be live. Like that can't be mine. But like you're actually turned on for that. And I don't know what I did, but the sound that came out of that guitar was not what it should have been. And uh, when we, and I saw Steve like, oh gosh, he was struggling to keep it together. And <laughs> We got off stage. He said, uh, "He said that was some very interesting music, Marty." Uh, quoting the Back to the Future. Oh, yes, <laughs> and yes, Marty. Your kids will get it. Yeah, your kids will get. It. <laughs> well, that, yeah. that that fits because the variety show, like they're, they're meant to be younger and experienced. So I think yeah. that works. That's and fine. no one ever showed me how to do it. Like I realized. No one? Like, I realized as I'm singing Apple of My Eye. Oh, I don't know how to do that. I'm about that. <laughs> oh no! I, I don't know how to do that. Oh no! When you're not from New York, you think, oh, oh my gosh, everything like New, is like New Yorkers. Yes, rigid, detailed. It's like, yes, of course you are. But some things you just have to figure out. Yeah. Yeah, which is very And it, what, the thing, the valuable thing about it was, A, I was never bored. Uh-huh. And uh, B, like it makes you fearless as a performer. Um, yeah. When you just have to be thrown on and go for it. And you've got a full house of people on Broadway paying ridiculous amounts of money to see the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's an adrenaline rush. But you just... You just figure it out because if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be wrong, you should be strong and wrong. Uh, strong and wrong, man. If you're if yeah. you're timid, you're going to look stupider, you know, mm-hmm. um, or more stupid. Excuse me, stupider. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, well, plus and 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 yeah. with all of your experience, I'm sure that 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 gave you such a sense of of empathy and grace for when you like became the executive director at AD Players, you know. So yeah, how? Yeah. Yes, if it's okay, if we can talk about that first before the before, game. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's so much about it. Could you walk us through your um like when you found a studio ten and how you got into everything where you are now? Yeah, I'll try to I'll try to keep it brief because that's a lot that happened. Um, but um. I jokingly refer to this time in New York as my quarter life crisis. Uh, when, mm. when, I, when I realized I didn't necessarily want to do eight shows a week on Broadway forever. Okay. Um, when you were and, 25? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I guess I was 27 at this point. Okay, uh, yeah. we're 25 right now. <laughs> yeah. well, we but, thought about um, it too. It's, yeah. Well, and I got married and, and Emily and I wanted to have kids and we were just trying to figure out what we were gonna do. and actually went back to school for a little while while I was in the show uh of course like at the time I was I was swinging and so I had a lot of time when I wasn't on and then like the second I committed to going back to school I got moved into Bob Gaudio so of course oh uh, that's, that's exactly how it works it's <laughs> exactly how it works uh but um well, what did you study I was basically just finishing up my bachelor's so okay it was actually fun like a lot of the courses that I had to fulfill I could do stuff that I really enjoyed like I took a Shakespeare class and a film film class and um several other things just sort of working towards finishing my bachelor's where were you doing your bachelor's at the new school 
okay. the new school. Oh, new school. Oh, new school. Oh, okay. So, so you yeah. did your you did your two year conservatory at AMDA, and then uh-huh. you did your BA. Uh, it was it a BA or BFA? It was it was a it was a it was a BA, but I never okay. finished it actually. Oh, um, okay. Oh, so even after you went back, yeah, uh, okay. which I still someday want to to finish it. Um, sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I uh, long story short, I literally had a dream that I was running a professional theater company in Nashville with a longtime friend and colleague of mine, Matt Logan, who was also from Nashville. Uh, who, guys, the world is so small. Who also worked for Tara Rubin for a while as a reader and was the reader in all of my final callbacks for Jersey Boys. Are you serious? Um, Who I've known since I was 14. Uh, So I had this dream that he and I were running this theater and I didn't really think anything of it, but I could not stop thinking about it. And I emailed him one day, like a novel of an email. And just was like, I just need you to tell me that I'm crazy and that you would never do this so I can move on with my life. You Rick Ellis, Tim. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he called me and he said, you're never going to believe this. Like, I just got out of like a two hour long lunch with Edie Orr, who's a woman that we both knew in common, who just spent two hours trying to convince me that I need to stay in Nashville and start a professional theater company here. Because um, he was planning on moving back to Los Angeles. He had lived in New York for a while and was going to go back to LA where he went to college. Um, and so long story short, uh, we started a bunch of conversations and ended up actually doing it and starting Studio 10 Theater Company, um, along with Philip and Marguerite Hall, which are an amazing couple who live in Nashville, but were in New York for a long time. Marguerite is like one of the most stupidly talented people I've ever seen in my life. She, back in the day, um, she was the original, uh, she was Rapunzel on the first national tour of Into the Woods. Oh, wow. Sure. Oh, wow. She, um, she was in two Broadway shows that were like total flops. Uh, one oh. was The Wind in the Willows, the musical. Uh, and wow. one, one was um, Marilyn, which was the actual Broadway oh musical God. about Marilyn. Yeah, Doug, I think. Doug, Doug Crawford was in that uh-huh. or, you yeah. know, was uh, auditioning for that. I'm sorry, yeah. Jake. Go ahead, man. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> they helped us. So we, we started Studio 10 and... Um, it was crazy. It was the hardest thing I've ever done to start a professional theater company from scratch. I got to, we built that company from the ground up over seven years and got to do some incredible things. And um, we were the first regional company in the history of the Ten- Tennessee Performing Arts Center to produce a show on their Broadway series, along with all the Broadway tours from New York, um, wow. awesome. which was a huge deal for us. And um I got a phone call from a search firm who was doing a search for my current position and uh, initially told them I wasn't interested. I was like, I started a company in Nashville. Like um, my wife has a great job here. Like we're happy here. And um, one thing just sort of led to another and it became such a great opportunity uh, that I just felt like I couldn't say no to it. Um, And it was attractive because Studio 10, even though it was a labor of love, like by the time I left, we still only had like maybe like 10 full-time staff members. We were still mm-hmm. wearing a lot of hats and doing yeah. a lot of things. Um, and 80 players in the George Theater, I mean, they had this brand new, stunning 20 plus million dollar facility, um, a much mm-hmm. larger staff. Um, and so, yeah, it was one thing led to another. And we just kind of felt like, hey, how often do these kinds of opportunities come along? Mm-hmm. Um, and so came down here in August of 2017 uh, and moved to Houston the week before Hurricane Harvey. So that was fun. Oh, 
Okay. <laughs> uh, we, we, we escaped unscathed, thank God. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, I was just given a tremendous opportunity to sort of take this company that's been around for over 50 years, but the founder of the company was um, uh, very sick and, and old. She was in her 90s. She, she passed away just a few months after I got here and um, was sort of able to just sort of re-envision the next 50 years of this theater and had this gorgeous space to do it in. And um, so it's been tremendous. Of course, COVID has been absolutely crazy to be mm. running a theater organization during COVID, but um, Houston's been very kind to us. Um, my wife and I get the chance to work together sometimes. She's a brilliant, brilliant director and choreographer. Um, and so she directed and choreographed West Side Story at our theater, uh, which oh, was- Wow. Uh, I'd love to meet her. <laughs> and she's got some other things on the horizon here that she's gonna be directing uh, once, once everything reopens up. So let's, let's get back to Jersey Boys for a second. Let's hang on to what we've got. Because don't <laughs> let go, girl. We've got a lot. So we wanted, to, we wanted to do something special where we wanted to break down monologue mm. with you, All Jake right. Speck, Miss, Miss, Mr. Sir. So um, we wanted to... I got, wanted, I got my old script out just so I could actually read the monologue and remember it. So let's... So you know what? Let's go to Uncle Nick. Let's go. Oh, gosh, so you're changing it up on me. Now I'm actually going to have to read this. <laughs> Let's go to Uncle Let's Nick. Page. Nick has told the group that he's out. Mm-hmm. Right? So what, do you remember the first time you played Nick? Yeah. Yeah. It was in San Francisco. So, and um, so yeah. what, what, was, what was going through your head that entire time? Like, just, 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 just let, let's just start there. Like, what was going through your head? as you were playing Nick? You know, I, um, I think in that moment, in that monologue, I told you guys the story about my audition for the La Jolla production. I, I remember like going right back there uh, in that monologue. And it's funny enough, Nick was the last season I went on for. Like I had already played, I'd already mm-hmm. gone on as Tommy and I'd already gone on as Bob. Wow. Uh, but Nick was the first season that I auditioned for. Mm-hmm. And so I had kind of a moment <laughs> <laughs> when I was up there, I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, here I am. Like, I am now in this show. And my mind went right back to that first audition with Des. And I was like, I'm now delivering that monologue on stage in this role in front of 1,200 people uh, here in San Francisco. Um, Nick uh, is a really fun role to play. I mean, they're all, they all have their unique challenges, right? And um, there are things that I love about all of them. It's one of the things that I was just grateful that I got the opportunity to be a swing. Uh, Cause I got the opportunity to sort of be able to put on all of those guys. And Nick is so quiet. And so uh, just sort of inter- internalizes everything and introverted. Uh-oh. And that was really fun to play around well, with. That scene in the uh, conference room there with uh, Jip. Yeah. Go ahead. And that's a blast. That was a blast to do as well. Um, but it was fun to get to play around with that, having already been on as, you know, uh, Tommy and, and Bob, who were especially Tommy, who's much more boisterous and sort of um, extroverted and out there to be able to play around with sort of the nuances of Nick. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I loved it. I, I loved, I loved playing all of them. Well, was there a certain approach you had to Nick? Because oh, we talk about this all the time. We have a, a soft spot for Nick's character because I feel like we know the, the least about him, but, but you learn so much with, with watching every different performance. So uh -huh. was there a certain way you would walk or maybe like shuffle your feet or do different things with the drinks at the bar? Any, any little crooks like that that you found? Yeah, I definitely tried to. And this is interesting, right? So when you're uh, understudying, you know, there is a certain expectation that you're going to sort of stay within the boundaries of what the person who is cast in the role proper is doing, right? Mm. Um, doesn't mean you can't make some of your own choices, et cetera, but like you're kind of, that's sort of the expectation there. Um, I'll actually never forget when I moved into the role of Bob proper, Wes Tyler came to see the show, who was Des's assistant and sort of um, like Richard was somewhat in charge of, you know, checking in and just making sure the show is, uh, is maintaining its integrity. And he came to my dressing room and he said, okay, so let's talk about the character because this is yours now. You, you don't have to just do what Sebastian does or like, and it was kind of, it was an interesting concept to me because I was like, oh, wow. Like I never thought of it that way. I never, and I never felt like I was just trying to impersonate Sebastian and make all of his same choices, but it was nice that it was like, no, I'm giving you the freedom to make this, your own um but with nick oh yeah i definitely had i really sort of latched on to it helped me to latch on to some of those sort of ocd things mm -hmm. um and the way that you know you sets up the drinks and um I, I remember always like um fixing my clothes making sure the buttons were right like i would find those little touchstones of, of nick's sort of obsessive compulsive uh thing uh, I remember latching onto those and those those helping sort of differentiate him a little bit. Um, yes. But he's a weird dude. He's a weird dude, Nick Massey. <laughs> and he's the only he's the only one he's the only one that I never got to that never got to meet. You know, I got to right. meet Frankie and and Bob and Tommy. And so when when we get to this monologue, of course, you said before, like this is, I mean, like like Des told you, this is the first time like in, in your audition, this was the first time you were, you've said anything. And this is, and it was interesting that they made this choice in the movie that they had Michael Lamenda say this monologue to Chris Walken. Mm -hmm. But this whole time we're hearing him say things, you know, he's like, I've been pretty quiet up until now. But the difference is he's telling the audience, but he's still not defending himself. Yeah defending himself to to the team you know to the group and it's not until of course he blows up in Jip's basement but even that you know he sits down and he buttons his coat up again you know I'm back you know I had my explosion but now I'm back and I'm going to keep silent again and um, Frankie keeps shutting him up and then instead of saying anything he just slams his head on the table and now we come to his last monologue, when his last, the last one before the finale. And again, he's opening up, but not opening up to the rest of the group. And I think that just makes this monologue just a little bit, this direct address a little bit more significant. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. And, and I, um, I think he is intentionally left a bit mysterious because I mean, you hear it, you hear it throughout the end of the show, like Frankie, it bothers Frankie for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. He can never 
figure out why Nick would walk away. And he could have been Don Costa. Yeah. Something like that. And so I think that Rick and Marshall did a brilliant job of sort of leaving the audience somewhat in that void as well, of Mm -hmm. never really understanding why he was the way he was and why he chose to leave. Um, I've known people like that in my life in terms of like just have brilliant capabilities as an artist before whatever reason they don't want it. Um, and, uh, but it is interesting that he chooses to sort of confide in the audience and, and sort of reveal this thing to him that he's not even saying to the guys. Yeah. Well, I have a question uh, just, just for you with that, because um, the whole show we, we talk about, and Richard Hester mentioned this too, how everyone has a different definition of success. Um, so, so what, when it comes to the fame and just and just like staying in the band for longer, I actually did a poll on my Instagram. I was curious with people, and I asked them, "I was like, do you want to be famous? Yes or no?" And more than half said no, which is so surprising to me. So then it was a follow up mm-hmm. question. So okay, so if but for the work that you do, do you want to be recognized, like, or would you rather be recognized more at a local level or a national level? And a lot of people still said local. And I just thought that that blew my mind because I know for a lot of us um, in this call right now, like you, you do want to have as to reach as many people as you can. Um, sure. but, but so with your experience doing like all of it, you know, so you've been on a Broadway stage. Not now you're, you're you're really honing in on on the Nashville community and bringing people to Nashville. How how do you how do you see success for you? And did that change your your um? your perception of Nick as time went on. Even looking well, back now. That's interesting to relate it to Nick. Um, or, um, or all of them, yeah. Well, no, but now, you, now that you say that, um, yes, I can mm-hmm. see, I, and I talk about this even in the show that Emily and I put together, I've learned to never say never in my career because every professional opportunity, once, once uh, I got outside of New York, every professional opportunity I have ever had looked absolutely nothing like I thought it would look. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my dreams morphed along the way. Um, uh, I never, ever thought I would leave, leave New York city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, I never, ever thought I would leave Nashville. Um, if you would have told me back when I was, you know, just first starting Jersey boys that I would leave New York and start a theater, I'd be like, you're crazy. I would never do that. Um, but as I've done those different things, like now with where I am in my life, um, and I'll be, I'll be 40 in a couple months. Uh, Happy early I, birthday. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, um, I really just want to do good work with good people. Um, and I don't care where that is. Um, I'm less concerned with the accolades or um, how the industry views it or how my peers view it or you know, that, oh, it doesn't mean as much because it's not in New York or it's not on Broadway. Um, there's great work and great art being created all over this country, including mm-hmm. on Broadway, obviously. Um, but I guess to relate it back to the show and back to Nick, I, I feel that a little bit because the things that were the most important to me when I was 25 are not the same things that are the most important to me when I'm now at 40, sure. nearly 40. Um, <clears throat> And of course, I have a family now. I have kids. Um, but like I said about even performing, like I, 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 I still love doing it. I still get up there every couple of years. But 
my gosh, back in my 20s, that's all I wanted to do all the time. Just get me on stage, get me on stage, get me on stage. Um, and now I have, I find fulfillment in, in other things, not just being on stage, you know? So I, under, I can understand his desire to step away from something like that and the lifestyle that comes with it and the pressure that comes with it um, and constantly needing to deliver and all these things that he says about staying in the hotel rooms and the tiny little bars of soap. And um, like, honestly, I don't think it's I ever would have done- You can't even see it. Yeah. I, honestly, I'm not sure I would have done really well touring. I never really legitimately toured, you know, uh, even with Jersey Boys, I was sort of in sit down, long sit downs, you know, in places. Um, but I, I would say I define success for myself now very differently than I defined it uh, even 10 years ago, certainly 15 or 20 years ago. Wow. And, Thank and, you. and I think uh, another, another question that comes with that is like, let's say you make a choice, you make a decision, you do something. And it's like, oh, what if people are going to judge me based on that? You know, like, what are people going to think if I do this? What are people going to think if right. I decide to produce that? Or if I decide to leave and do this? Right. From it's your like, marketing perspective, like, like do, you, do, you, do you take perception into account? Like of none of us were saints. You sell 100 million records, see how you handle it. You know, they're, so like what Gia was saying, there's the perception of it. So how, like, how, how does that come into play for you? And how can you relate it back to Jersey Boys? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I think it's some of what I just said of just we have this idea in our heads as a young actor of like what success is. And it's that Broadway credit, right? That Broadway credit is everything. I've got to get that on my resume. If I can say that I was on Broadway, that is what even people who aren't in this business, they at least they know what that is. And so mm-hmm. that that is de- defined as success. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and I hate that because yes, it is a really awesome thing. Yes, it is a really special thing. Yes, it was my dream. Yes, I got to live that dream. And it has opened so many doors for me, as I shared with you, like I told Rick Ellis, I was like, those were the five, those were the magic words. I was in Jersey Boys on Broadway. Um, I was in Jersey Boys on Broadway. <laughs> <Eight> <laughs> <words>. <laughs> uh, uh, but at the same time, some of the most phenomenal artists I have ever known in my life have never stepped foot on a Broadway stage, you know, mm-hmm. and some of the professional projects that I am the most proud of that I have gotten to participate in were not on a Broadway stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I saw, you know, I was looking at like, uh, you know, face, Facebook shows you your memories from that day, how many years ago. And I yeah, saw something yeah. Recently, like it was when the Oscars were on and it was maybe a couple of years ago that I had posted something like specifically talking to young actors and young artists that I had just watched, you know, the Oscars and um, that you have to define success for yourself. Do not let anybody else, do not let the industry define success for you. Um, and we, we, we live in a culture and a society where we put so much value on whatever that thing is, if it's Broadway, if it's a film, if it's you were nominated for something or whatever, um, to find your joy in the work itself. And that is so much easier said than done, right? Because we all, we all care about those things. Of course we do. We care about the accolades. We care about how people perceive, you know, what we did. Um, but I think, and, you know, it, I have to admit, too, it's like, yeah, well, easy for me to say I got to accomplish some of those dreams and goals for myself. Right. Like I, I lived. I was there. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, I think I have learned as perhaps Nick learned um, and certainly Bob learned. I mean, I, I, have, I have so many parallels with Bob. Like I feel, um, but obviously I ne I've never had the career that he had, but in terms of being a performer and then learning more about the business and then stepping away and going, wow, I think maybe this is what I'm the best at and this is what I should be doing. Um, I, I get that. I get, I get walking away and defining success differently and finding other things that, that make you happy and fill that place in you that you once thought only this could fulfill. Right. Um, and then being able to help other people, Frankie Valley and the four seasons, you know, helping that person build that solo career or helping that person book that next big audition or helping that person open that next big theater. It's all about paying it forward, always it forward. And showing up for people. And, and to your point, my career went from Jake Speck, the actor who could only do what he could do as a performer and, and was, and was reliant on the producers, the directors or whatever to give, him the opportunity to be in said show to to do this to Jake Speck the producer or theater executive that now that world has expanded so much mm -hmm. bigger and I have the opportunities to create arts and we have a whole educational program that we run um, we yes. have a arts for all program that we do for underserved families and for kids with special needs and it's just, um, though it's not Broadway, I feel like my reach and my influence is so much wider now mm -hmm. than it was as a, as a performer in New York, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. It's beautiful. There, there's Thank so you much, for all you do at your Yeah, seriously. There, and <laughs> yeah. There, there's so much amazing, you, you know, you talk about, you know, doing theater with and for special needs. I, I participated, me and my sister, she still does. But for about 10 years, being my sister both participated with a company called Exceptional Theater Company, which they have, um, they have branches on the United States, um, where they get, you know, a group of special needs adults and kids together and they put on theater put on talent shows beautiful beautiful things i some of the best work that i i it's just mind-blowing and to give you know to make an equal opportunity for everyone something so special my sister she's special needs i i, I was a shadow and i was i was their tech director for a little bit um but it's just such a special thing to witness that's, that and to be a part of that. Yeah. That's amazing. My sister as well. I think I mentioned her earlier. Yeah. Uh, and when I was at Studio 10, we did some um, sensory friendly performances uh, for, that we made free for the special needs community. Those are some of the most meaningful things I've ever been a part of. Yeah. Um, and we were, we were about to implement our first sensory friendly performance here before COVID happened. Um, but, but yeah, and, and those are some of the things I'm talking about. Like I've found passion and fulfillment in some other areas and it's not all about just the performance career anymore even though I still mm -hmm. love to do that you know um yeah it's about, it's about more than that but there's more to it and um you know I think that is a I perfect a place beautiful place to wrap up thank you Jake Speck and Howard Tucker thank you so much for coming thank to the Zoom thanks. studio and let's let's um 
give a huge and follow Jake Speck on social media um, and check, the AD players check out AD players check out Studio 10 if you're if you live near them and you're listening to this you're watching this go check out whatever season they've got coming on <laughs> no and Jake, whatever season they got coming on very soon no and Jake Speck for these this these last week and a half that we've been in contact through Howard, thank you again, Howard, for putting us in contact. We have learned so much about you. Your he's such a in, in Hebrew, uh, we like to, to the Hebrew for soul is a neshama, and to call someone a special neshama, it's like a really, you know, it's a beautiful. So you have a beautiful neshama, and you do a lot of great work, and we know you have a huge impact in, in the Jersey Boys community. A wonderful mitzvah as well, and. Um... Jake, thank you. As I said earlier in this podcast, you know, I've been friendly with a lot of the actors and we've spoken a lot during Jersey Boys, since Jersey Boys, we've gone out, but I didn't know a lot of the stuff and, you know, what you've said about auditioning and about the early days, it's just giving me a great education as well. So thank you. Hey, it was my pleasure. It was fun for me to talk about. Like I said, the further I'm removed for it, the, the... Uh, more fond my memories are or maybe more faint because I don't remember the script like I used to (laughs) (laughs) well stay tuned for Jake Speck part 2 where we will definitely dive deeper into the script and into your into your and a salute